This is episode seven, Perfect Pitch. Welcome back after our long hiatus. Happy New Year. I have a sort of special announcement. I am now the father of two children. (laughs) I have a baby daughter and she is beautiful. This episode with Crystal Chico was recorded last year and we talk about being a concert performer on tour, auditioning, practice, mentorship, and even working a side gig at a coffee shop. Welcome to The Language of Creativity. Crystal Chico, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Chris, you're a concert clarinetist, and in the Barcada Quartet, which we just heard, you play soprano saxophone. Correct. You're like the lead man in that <laughs> quartet. Something like that. You're up there at the top, doing on the rock. Right. We're here in the iCreate Sound Studios, and my guest today, I know him as one of the best listeners around, so it's going to be kind of cool to turn the tables and get him to talk about himself. There's a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> you are a musician. Have you always been a musician? For as long as I can remember. I started playing piano when I was about three and a half, and it's always been something that I've loved and more of a pastime until uh, it was time to apply for college. And my private teacher at the time had said, you know, I think you'd really regret it if you didn't at least try. So 10 years later, (laughs) and I'm still doing it. So I guess I still love it. What was your first introduction to the wind instruments? My brother, who's about five years older than I, also was a saxophonist throughout middle school and high school. So sort of following in his footsteps when I entered beginning band, I chose the saxophone naturally, and I fell in love. And in high school, my band director had pushed me to try other woodwinds, um, mainly as a double in jazz band, so flute, clarinet, and then Uh, we didn't have very many double reeds, so he asked me to play a little bit of oboe. But up until that point, predominantly saxophone. I love the uh, oboe. It's difficult, (laughs) but it's (laughs) a beautiful instrument. That's, I think, what people don't understand about playing wind instruments is it's very challenging to do. Right. Well, for me, I think the most difficult thing are all of the things that you can't physically see so you know what what goes on in your oral cavity or your air that plays a much bigger role than the things that you could stand in front of a mirror and pick apart yeah when i first encountered woodwinds it was almost like okay you're blowing so you need to have good breath support but you got all these keys like the piano so it's easy to kind of assume that all notes are hit equally right (laughs) which i found out quickly working with concert people that is not right like you want me to play that high note i'm like don't you just key it no 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 no. (laughs) that's not how it works right (laughs) right there's so much involved that people don't necessarily understand but the process is part of the fun So if you're not in love with the process, it gets very grueling. And I think that's probably true for classically based music as well. Correct. A lot of people start with that on accident because that's what the parents want. And you seem to have a love for classically based music. Right. Starting out as a pianist, I naturally veered in that direction I did dabble in some jazz in high school, but it just never felt comfortable. I was always scared of the idea of creating music without having seen it on the page. 
But for me, that's the fun of it is bringing something to life that somebody else has written, but really still making it your own and evoking some type of emotional response from the people that listen to it. Yeah, that was striking me as I was listening to... The, how do you say the album? Aventura? Yeah, Aventura. Okay, so I was listening to Aventura, and one of the things that I was reflecting on was the compositions, and <laughs> we've had a lot of musicians on the podcast so far because that's my trade, but I've never had a concert musician. And it kind of struck me that your role as a concert musician is to breathe life into the composition, like to hear what's there on the page and embody it right emotionally i think that's why i loved listening to your cd so much was because i really connected with the feeling of the music through your playing i thought it was phenomenal thank you so much and that's one the hardest part and two the most fun part at the same time the biggest thing is just having a clear idea of what you're trying to present because if you don't then the audience is going to be just as confused as you are. Um, But we love having different ideas with the same music and interpreting it in a million different ways and then coming up with our own special way. And hopefully the people that listen to that can understand what we were trying to accomplish. And if it's not necessarily what we wanted, at least something good comes from what they hear. Yeah, that was striking me as I was listening to the album that your quartet put out. Who composed that material? So all of that music was originally composed for saxophone quartet. Two of the pieces are written by a Spanish composer, David Salieres Quintana. And at the time, our alto player, who was from Spain, had studied with that particular composer who's also a saxophonist. So he brought that music to us. And that's one of our favorite pieces to play because there's just so much room to be expressive. It's not so cut and dry and in the box as a lot of other classical music, which is very expressive in its own way. But in that regard we were able to sort of do our own thing with the music and see where it went it's very emotive definitely yeah so one of the things that i wanted to ask you about was the artwork for your album cover it's amazing thank you um so the baritone saxophone player his best friend's brother is a graphic designer and we came up with this idea of the world and some of the places that played very important roles in our development from the beginning up until we won this national competition uh, that allowed us to tour in Italy. And we were lucky enough to win the grand prize in 2012. What was that national competition? (laughs) It's called the Fischoff National Chamber Music Competition. So that included a tour of the Midwest because the competition's held at Notre Dame. So a tour of the Midwest that fall and then also a tour in italy where in italy it was mostly in northern italy in small towns we were mainly based out of imola but i remember us visiting alfonsine places near bologna but it definitely was one of the most amazing trips of my life so you win this competition you guys get to fly to italy Mm -hmm. and perform exactly and everything is taken care of food flights hotels And we get compensated for performing. I think we had about seven performances and it was a 10-day trip. That's awesome. Yeah. It was really amazing to do what I love and not have to worry about anything else. You know, just performing. 
it's like living the dream for yeah us, for a moment for like <laughs> 10 days oh wow wow that's amazing bit more about your artwork i mean it's just so visual and striking that was one of the things that jumped out at me about the first piece was like i see all these structures jumping off the planet and they're geometrical but your piece was all these chords broken apart into arpeggios happening on different instruments and there you are on the top just kind of with the top right. you know oh yeah so the artwork i completely lost track of my thought process but anyways um he must have been listening to your music because to me it almost reminded me of remember on like windows 98 when you play the media player and then all the like you know little, <laughs> right. the little colors would dance around and like right. there'd be the little spikes doing things to the music i mean that's that's what i felt when i was listening on youtube i was listening to it and there's the album cover and i'm like oh my god this is what the music's doing it's like <laughs> <laughs> so kudos to your artist Right. So you said your album is called Aventura? Right. So the reason that we named it that is because it is the Spanish word for adventure. And this was supposed to mark our adventure from from the beginning up until that trip to Italy. So all of the pieces that we recorded played integral roles in our development. So not only did we think that it would make a good album as the music collectively, but every piece meant something special to us. You guys are kind of reaching into some composers that maybe people aren't familiar with. Yes. So David Maslanka, who is an American composer who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, but has written a lot of works for wind ensemble, a few more works for saxophone quartet and for saxophone and then the last composer on the CD is David Werfelman, who is another American composer. Um, and that is just a, a beautiful piece. It's a minimalistic piece that really showcases the intricacies that saxophone and that type of ensemble can play in. What is your favorite piece? They're all so different. Uh, they are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um recitation book by David Maslanka it's it's a probably about 25 minute work for originally written for saxophone quartet by an American composer who's very influenced by Bach uh, his the fifth movement of that piece um, is very overplayed but it's one of my favorite pieces for saxophone quartet and it's one of the funnest for me to play um I would say that or the Spanish pieces were just so fun to work on and so different from from what we normally get to play. So um, one of those. We're a brand new podcast and brand new podcasts need new subscribers. One of the things that helps attract new subscribers is your review. If you're enjoying my conversations with creatives from all walks of life, consider leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can also engage with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Connect with other listeners or request special guests. Be sure to catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and we're always grateful if you share with a friend. Now back to my interview with Chris El Chico. You're listening to The Language of Creativity. I would kind of picture you guys as like the, I don't know if this is a, a terrible example, but for some reason, pentatonics came to mind. 
<laughs> like you know like all of a sudden the sing-off happened and vocal groups were a thing like right. before that was like wait what that's weird now it's like it's kind of cool the saxophone quartet i never crossed my mind's zeitgeist <laughs> right it's before. actually it's kind of a thing there are a lot of chamber music competitions and there are always saxophone quartets in the finals and a lot of the other classical musicians kind of scoff and they're like, well, you know, they can't play an orchestra or they're not doing whatever else. So all they have time to do is practice for this competition because <laughs> we have made so much progress and we are doing well publicly at these things. So I think there's a little bit of resentment. <laughs> Well, yeah, and that's an interesting point. The saxophone is not usually an instrument that's in the orchestra. Right. Yeah, so you guys are kind of almost like black sheep. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so you're definitely a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the question with classical musicians, I see this with string players all the time, is how well you play the instrument. Right. How different are oboe and soprano sax? A lot of people don't know. Soprano saxes are straight. They're not curved. Like, everyone thinks of, like, a tenor sax when they think of saxophone, an alto sax. Um, but the soprano sax and the clarinet, do they kind of share the same register in terms of the notes that they play? They do. So let's talk about soprano sax versus clarinet. The board... I'm going to get really technical. It's going to be kind of boring. but um, <laughs> So the board, the shape of the instrument is different. Soprano, saxophone in general is a conical instrument, um, which allows you to have an octave key so that all of your fingerings are the same for the most part, whatever register you're in. Conical, shaped like a cone. Exactly. Yes, okay. <laughs> uh, the clarinet is a cylindrical instrument. So instead of an octave key, we have a register key so that Whenever you're playing a specific fingering, it goes up a twelfth instead of an octave. Oh. So in that regard, they're very different. Up a twelfth, not in semitones, but in whole notes? Whole steps, yeah. Wow. So yeah, larger than an octave. Correct. Yeah. So that leads the clarinet to have a much larger range. So unfortunately for the saxophone, uh, much smaller. But, but in regards to saxophone to oboe, their range is pretty similar. And the oboe is also conical as well. But the production of sound is somewhat different. Oboes are wooden. Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, the soprano sax is brass. Right. But it's brass with a reed right. on it. So that's what makes saxophone, what everyone thinks of saxophone, like da 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 You know, that, <laughs> the curvy saxophone, the jazzy saxophone definitely has this unique, almost edgy sound. And that's why they were used in rock and roll. Right. But uh, unfortunately, most people's exposure to the soprano sax is pretty much Kenny G. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tell me why that's a bad thing. <laughs> I, it's, it's not a bad thing. I mean, kudos for him. He's, he's successful and probably very comfortable with his life. What is like one or two of the, the single coolest things you've learned from your instructor? What's his, what's his name? His name's Bert Hara. Uh-huh. So I, as a clarinet, I, I study with the associate principal clarinet of the LA Phil. So wow. I get to watch him perform and that's just as inspiring as, as seeing the whole group. He is absolutely amazing. And he's just one of the most genuine, caring people that I know. And that's not to say that I don't get my ass handed to me in every lesson that I play <laughs> for him. Um because he's very straight to the point and very blunt with me because that's what I need. But it's in a very caring way. And it's in a way that lets me know that 
he believes in what I'm doing and what I'm capable of doing. So I guess in terms of teaching, that's one of the biggest things that I've learned from him um, is how to be a very straight and to the point teacher with my own students, but it has to come from a very caring and loving way because they have to know that, that what you want is the best for them. Right. And not to just point out what they could be working on. Well, how did you even meet him? So after my master's, I auditioned at Cal State Fullerton to do an arts diploma because I wanted to study with him specifically. Mm. So you like you knew him, you knew of him, and right. you sought him out. Right. Cool. Exactly. Good I've for you. always been an admirer of his playing. He's a phenomenal clarinetist and musician. And I only ended up staying there for one semester. It just wasn't the right fit for me. But I continued to take private lessons with him afterward. What an opportunity. I mean, that's, I feel like there's a lot that gets imparted from somebody who's at a world-class level that almost cannot be taught. Mm. There's something you learn just by being around right? someone who's f- performing at that level. Right. Has he ever gotten you backstage at the Phil? Has he? He's definitely gotten me tickets. <laughs> 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 but I have been backstage at Disney. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's that like? It's pretty cool. There's there's large rehearsal spaces. There's small practice rooms. Um, most of the principal musicians have their own dressing rooms. Um, and there's lots of storage for all of the instruments. But it's pretty cool. I wonder who, who doesn't get a dressing room. Is it like the percussionists, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> They're kind of like, oh, yeah, you can kind of hang out over there by the snack bar. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> We only need you half the time, so (laughs) keep yourself busy. (laughs) Right. I mean, I think the impression can sometimes be that classical-minded people have a much higher refined idea of what good playing is. (laughs) Right. Um, I try to refrain from saying higher because I don't want to box myself into that, but, but I would like to think that um they have a very specific idea of what is good yeah um would you say almost limited i would say that does come into play with some people yeah so it just depends on the, on the and musician. then you have yuja wang and yo-yo ma where they just have like a blast with it and somehow they get away with it and everyone's like oh they're the rock and roll pianist in classical music you know right <laughs> oh yuja wang she's amazing uh, she is absolutely uh, incredible amazing yeah, yeah. She has some of the best facility I've ever heard on the piano, but like also incredibly musical in so much range. We saw Yuya Ma, and what I noticed about his performance was when I stopped listening to the sound and started looking with my eyes, which I don't usually do. I'm a very auditory person. It was like all of a sudden I saw how much fun he was having. Mm -hmm. And it was like he was just, you know, they talk about that flow state. Like he's like, there right i mean he's just embodying the music and just fully enjoying every performance right it blew my mind (laughs) it's one of the things if you've never seen it this could be a bucket list item yeah yeah definitely well i think a thought popped into my head um when we well for me for example i've been auditioning for orchestras so that i can be concertizing more regularly but when you go through that process 
everything is behind a screen. This is the audition process? Yeah. Tell me about that, because I'm not familiar with that. Um, so generally, there's anywhere between two, three, four rounds of playing for a panel. That can be five people. It could be 10 people. And usually the first and second rounds are behind a screen. So that the only thing that they're paying attention to is what you sound like. But it's funny that you mention the visual aspect of performing because that's not so much a part of the audition process. But once you become part of a group, you know, that plays a big role in how you dress, how you look, how you move. So it's kind of interesting. The process behind getting one of those positions and then actually playing the position is, is much different. We were lucky enough to uh, get some great tickets to the L.A. Phil at Disney Concert Hall. And it's cool how each series that they do, they approach completely differently in terms of the ensembles and the staging. One of them, we had a cornet actually come up to the wing in the balcony where we were and play from the top. Cool. It was really cool. And so, yeah, I mean, I think modern audiences are sort of demanding that more now in a way. And I feel like classical music is more accessible to the modern audience than it ever has been. So uh, it's a really beautiful experience. If you've never had the chance to attend a good concert like that, I would highly recommend in person. Uh, it really is a it really is a felt experience. Right. Well, and being in L.A., there's just so much opportunity to see something like that. We have one of the greatest symphonies in the world, and you can get very reasonable price tickets to, to go see something so incredible. I mean, I guess that's what's unique about classical music, too, is you have this large ensemble. I mean, you do have your soloist, but the orchestra really has to kind of move as one entity. Right. You just have to be so connected, having your eyes and your ears so open from one end to the other. It's pretty amazing to see that many people just so well in sync. If you really think about it, you know, it's just how often do you get to participate in something like that in everyday life? What does that feel like? For me, it's one of the most enjoyable things. I mean... We are all working for a common goal and all enjoying what we're doing and creating something, whatever it might be, frightening, beautiful, um, sad, joyful, um, for a common purpose, for, for everybody to be moved by or, or have their day be better. I think, I think that's incredible. some of the recent things that you've seen um i saw them perform um stravinsky's firebird suite and that was that was absolutely incredible of course especially since i've been auditioning that's one of the major excerpts for our instrument um so it's nice to sort of see the whole picture together rather than than playing by myself in my room <laughs> so when you audition are you alone yes Oh, wow. And now you just got back from a trip. You did one or two auditions back east, right? Right. I had two auditions, one for the Rochester Philharmonic and one for the Hartford Symphony. 
And this has been kind of as far as I've been talking to you for, I don't know, like eight months or more. You've been kind of working through various auditions. How did it go? Um, The Rochester audition did not go as well as I would have liked. Um, (laughs) But that's I mean, that's part of the process. You know, I can't I can't hold myself back and and just stay upset i have to keep moving forward um unfortunately that was my first audition so i was a little bit down that day um but five days later i auditioned for the hartford symphony uh and advanced to the semi-final round there were there were eight of us uh and unfortunately i didn't make it to the finals but i learned so much from this trip and i i actually have another audition in, in about two weeks and i'm excited to to put all of those things to work that i've learned um and really see what i can accomplish with with a sort of like newfound self-confidence as well so there's a lot of struggle that goes into the times where you're working towards something that you want and then you have to come back mm-hmm. to the daily life. <laughs> <laughs> the daily grind. Yeah. Um, and so you, I mean, let's, let's, one of the more positive aspects of that is that you also teach Correct. music. Right. I am able to teach where we live and I've grown to really love teaching i teach mostly like high school and middle school students and it's not just about the music it's one it's about the relationship with the student it's about teaching them various skills not only how to play their instrument but just life skills which Mm -hmm. i didn't really necessarily think about that when i was first starting to teach probably 10 years ago because i was so scared about screwing up (laughs) Um, but now that I've come into my own a little bit, I, I'm really enjoying um, getting to work with, with kids and see their growth and see their confidence grow. And it's so cool that I get to be in that position now, like having looked back at my childhood and having various teachers, you know, I thought about how much they influenced me, not only as a musician, but as a person. And I'm so grateful that I get to do that for kids now. It's really important. I think kids need mentors outside of their home. And so coaches, music teachers, the life skills that you learn of going through something that's hard and trying to, I would hope as a teacher, like trying to maintain the love for the process. And like you said, you know, sometimes an instrument is challenging, especially when it's even guitar, but when it's not just guitar. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And what, what makes these kids stick with it? I think as a teacher, you have to have a pretty high degree of empathy and also understand, you know, what their home life is like, what they're going through, what grade they're in, how many classes they're taking, um, and have a good balance of the things that they need, but the things that they love to play. And if you can allow them to do that while work on their weaknesses, there's something that always brings them back to playing their instrument. Yeah. Empathy is a word I would definitely use to describe you. Uh, 
And, you know, uh, you're, yeah. so now let's talk about the, the not so cheery side. You know, you have another job. That's, right. That is how I know you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and I think, I mean, you seem to have such a good attitude about it that I would assume you, you enjoy your other job. I do. Definitely. And it's okay to mention what it is. Because uh, I think, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people who have to have a day job in the middle of pursuing a dream. Right. So. Um, I'm also barista at a coffee shop. And I have to wake up at 3.45 in the morning to get to work at 4.30 a.m., which is probably the worst part about it. <laughs> but otherwise, um, I really do enjoy my job. I love all of the regulars that come in, and I love keeping up with their daily lives. And in another sense, it's also a creative outlet for me, just creating different drinks, Um or latte art, whatever it might be. Um, but it's also kind of nice to do something different. Like completely different. Than, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's actually, you know, that's actually true. I find that when I, I, I didn't used to do a lot of work with my hands, but now that I built a studio, even just the process of cutting wood, sometimes it's like, here's something that has a finite outcome. Right. <laughs> Nobody's going to judge me based on like the minutia of how I cut this wood or, you know, it's, it's, it's like, there's a clear point where you're done. Right. And you're like, all right, I just cut four squares of wood, done, you know? <laughs> right. And I mean, you do bring in so much heart and soul to your work there with everyday people. And I think I will say with the drinks, because I can say to you like, hey, I just need something different today. And you're like, all right, I got gotcha. you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's cool. I mean, working at a place like a coffee shop, you see the same people every day. People have a, a schedule and they, they need what they what they need at the coffee shop and that's great it's a great opportunity for me to one work on my people skills <laughs> and and two just to to be a normal person and to understand other people better and if i can help them through a cup of coffee great or maybe they just want somebody to talk to great you know mm -hmm. um those are the things that i that i love the most about my job you know, in a way, some of us have joked, it's kind of like cheers. Right. You know, I mean, there really is a community out here where we live. And it's been really cool. Uh, you know, I, I met Jen Fisher from episode two through the coffee shop. Um, I've met some other guests that, that have been on this. So not all my guests are from the coffee shop. But it's it's actually kind of noteworthy that there are so many artists mm. that are a part of that little community out in the middle of boondocks where we are. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so how many years have you been doing that maybe two and a half almost maybe almost three mm -hmm. so what was the point where you said to yourself okay uh i gotta i gotta get another job um it was probably a year or two after i finished my master's degree i you know you have this you, you lay out your life and you have this plan and you realize that things aren't going to go according to that necessarily. And, and I just needed, I needed some money and I fell into this job because I had some friends that worked there and it turned out that I loved it and I was good at it. And, and here I am. That's awesome. What has been the most surprising thing that you've learned about yourself or let's say just about people through working at a coffee shop? Um, I have learned a lot of patience 
And I mean, I, I think I could learn that through my music as well, but, but you, you meet so many different types of people uh, at a place like a coffee shop that, that you really have to, um, you know, stay calm and, and be patient with everybody because, you know, you don't know what they're going through. You don't, you don't know what they might be thinking that day. And, and, you know, perhaps we get some customers who aren't particularly nice, but, but that's okay. Cause it's not my job to, you know, judge how they act. It's my job to get them what they need. Yeah. Um, and when you see people at five in the morning, it's <laughs> at right. their best. Right. Um, you strike me as one of the most chill, easygoing, like open to all people's stories, really there to help and support kind of person. It's really cool. I enjoy the opportunity to get to know you a little better. I was talking to you before the interview that this is a stretch for me because this is one of the first times where I'm interviewing someone who I'm just getting to know mm. and who I'd like to know. So I think, why don't we just get to know you a little bit more? So tell me about your growing up. Tell me about your family life. What was that like? Sure. So let's start with, I'm Filipino. My Both of my parents immigrated from the Philippines. And so it was really neat to grow up with that culture mixed with American culture. And I wouldn't be able to tell you specifically like how that differed because that's all I know. Mm. But I had a strong sense of family. My mom was one of 11 or is one of 11. Wow. Six of her brothers and sisters live in the LA area. So, (laughs) so most weekends were spent at my aunt or my uncle's house. So that was great. My parents were very strict with with school and music. Well, basically whatever I did. And, <laughs> and, and um, I was one of those kids that sort of did a little bit of everything. Uh-huh. Uh, I did basketball. I did karate. I was in Bible study. I did piano lessons. I was in saxophone lessons. I, oh, wow. You know, so I was like, I was all over the place as a kid. and But I, I'm so grateful for it now. I think I'm more well-rounded than I would have been and I have a better idea of what I like and what I don't like um I probably wouldn't say that at the time that I was growing up but mm-hmm. <laughs> um other than that uh, my childhood was pretty strict but but good yeah uh and then after high school I ended up going to UCLA for my undergrad I uh, majored in music, in saxophone performance specifically. And then after that, I went to Indiana University for my master's where I did a double major in saxophone and clarinet. Oh, wow. So you pretty much decided that that was the path. Yeah. At what point did you really realize that that was what you were going to do? So I had mentioned that my private teacher sort of pushed me along that road just to begin with. But my first year at UCLA, I had some small successes. And I really thought to myself, you know, I think I can do this. Um, And it just took a a small push. And I think all along I had wanted to do it. I've always been a a creative person. Um, But I just needed that little bit of extra confidence to to continue on this path. Mm -hmm. Um, So from there... I just thought, okay, I don't see my life being fulfilling unless I'm playing music. Did anybody ever say to you, 
Like Chris being a musician is great and everything, but you're not going to make any money at it. Like just find, find something else like accounting or (laughs) plenty of people. Um, my parents were not the happiest when I had decided to do music in the first place. Yeah. I think, um, why, why do you think that is? I think they were just scared. Right. Um, they wanted me to be comfortable and that's, that's fair. Like they came to this country for our family to be comfortable and to be happy. And, um, you know, so that was on their mind when, when I was becoming a, an adult. And so, uh, most of my family is in the medical field. And so it was kind of a surprise because as a kid, I was like, Oh, I want to be a doctor. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it didn't quite work out that way. Did you really, or was that just because that's what you knew? I well, probably partially because that's what I knew and, and partially because I had this sort of, um, idealistic perception of, of being a doctor and yeah, you get to help people. Right. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah, I can see that empathy is a big part of your makeup. Yeah. It seems like. Hopefully. Um, Well, yeah, I think definitely. Of course, we all, at times, everyone gets to the point where they've had it with people, you know, I'm (laughs) sure. I'm sure even at 3.30 in the morning, especially, but that's, you know, when you meet somebody who's a compassionate person. So I think, not to tangent too much, but I, this is my show and we tangent all the time. (laughs) Um, Doctors really have it rough because the schedules that they're under now and the pressure that, that is in modern medicine on, on top of doctors is like unreal. Right. Doctors are committing suicide because there's just so much pressure. Now you said you had family in the medical profession. What do they do? Uh, mostly nurses. Nursing. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a large Filipino community with, within the nursing field. Mm-hmm. Um, and so up until my senior year of high school, I thought that's what I was going to at least start to pursue. Um, it was r- honestly a last minute decision to apply for music school. Well, I'm glad you did. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> did you ever like try, you know, with a very type A drive doing all the things that you do? Did you ever try to say, I think I'm going to try to do nursing and music? No. Because you were smarter than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just figured like why? Okay. If I did that, then am I really 100% committing myself to the, to the thing that I'm passionate about? Right. Um, so I thought, you know, if I'm going to give this a try, I'm going to do it 100%. And so I'm still here giving it a try, but um, I'm still doing a 100% and I'm still completely in love with what I'm doing. Even though you've seen me have rough days, but, you know, those are those are small lapses. Yeah. <laughs> well, the rough days are a part of it. And um, it must have been hard <laughs> coming back from another round of auditions and not making the cut. Yeah. Um, generally, I come back from auditions pretty uh, bummed out. But this round of auditions seemed different. I feel like I've had sort of an aha moment where I'm a place in my preparation that I have. Honestly, this past trip, I've I found like some self-confidence in my own playing and that wouldn't have come about if it weren't for the process. You know, I think it's easy as a musician to get impatient with that process, but 
but that's part of it. And we have to go through that to get where we need to be, to be successful, or at least, you know, as part of my journey thus far. What are some of the most important things that you've learned over the course of refining your rehearsal process? You know, I always tell my students that it's better to practice every day for a little bit rather than for a long period of time a couple times a week. Oh, that's so true. You know, and it's some of it is about just the recurring times that that you do all of these things, right? The the muscle memory that we create. But that's only half of it. You know, it has to be the right muscle memory that we create. Right. Because if your muscle memory is under stress and you always go back to that place of stress when you're practicing, you're going to stress 10 times more during a performance. Right. So, I mean, that's actually really valuable. It's like if you're stressing yourself out with practice, I mean, yeah, you sometimes have to push through it. But I've also worked with a lot of musicians in the studio. And sometimes it's like if you just keep trying to hit that note, but you're doing it wrong and your body's just going there, at some point it's just diminishing returns. Right. You're better off to get a good night's sleep, eat a good meal, take good care of yourself and come back when you've had time to percolate. Right. Trying less, <laughs> you know, making it easier. And I feel like that's what I love about players who make it look easy. I know they put in the hours and hours and hours of practice, especially in classical. You can't not. But at the same time, I think they've managed to connect with this place that's freedom. Well, part of that too is like, well, one, that's part of our job is to make it look easy, you know, which number two, it's like you've thought about all of these little details for so long that at some point, You've committed your body to memory and you just have to let go and know that you're going to be there when you need it to be there. Well, yeah, it's like if you're saying, okay, am I going to make that note? Am I going to make that note? You're psyching yourself out. Right. You just kind of have to let go. I think trust that, okay, I know this. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if I don't know it, I'll, it'll come out of somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's easy for me to forget that. You know, it's easy for everybody to forget you know, that you put in all this time and you get to the performance or the audition or whatever it is, you just have to trust in your preparation that you know it's going to be there because stressing out is only going to make it worse. Yeah, but you can't tell someone to not right. stress out. That's a, So it's like a really, it's an inside yeah. piece. It's like, it's self-work. Right. That's, that's hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of what this business is is like mental you know, you're stuck in your head so much and you sit in a practice room so much that, you know, you leave and you're like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> so you travel a lot mm-hmm. for these auditions and the ensembles. <laughs> how do you afford all the plane tickets? <laughs> My coffee shop job. That's how I afford all the plane tickets. Uh, it's expensive. Um Especially auditions. Auditions are, you know, they come out of my pocket. But I know that if I'm not putting myself out there, then there's no way for me to get further along in in the career that I want to be in. 
for some of those trips, some of them are paid for, which is great. And it's nice to be compensated. and Paid pre- for, like, for the audition? Uh, let's say my quartet has a performance. Or if I have, for example, I have a gig in Pennsylvania coming up. Those things are usually taken care of. That's something that we like to ask for since we're so spread apart. So that's nice. It always feels good to be appreciated and compensated for our travel. Tell me more about the other guys in your Barcada quartet. Okay, so the alto player, he lives in Hartford. He did a, an artist diploma at the Hart School of Music. Mm-hmm. And so now he is getting ready for an audition with one of the military bands. And in the meantime, he's just living and working at a restaurant just as you know, the daily grind. Our tenor player is currently doing a doctorate at the Hart School of Music in Saxophone as well. So his main priority is to teach at a university, um, which is something that's pretty common with classical saxophonists. That's sort of the ideal route for us because that's the most stable career. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then our baritone saxophone player plays with the army band in D.C., uh, the ceremonial band. So he does all of the funerals and different events that happen in the D.C. area. So you guys live all over the country. Yes. And how does that work? You guys have to travel to get together? And what do you do? So we have to get together, depending on what we're playing. Let's say we have one concert. We'll get together a few days beforehand and put together 60 to 90 minutes of music in those few days meaning that we've had hours of self-practice and score study and writing in cues in our parts of other people's parts. And then we play the gig and then we go home. Did you say, you know, kind of stay in touch with those guys like off time? In oh, between? Yeah. 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 Those guys are some of my best friends and yeah. which is why the group works so well uh-huh. uh, because we have that personal relationship and it shows in the way that we play. I'd like to think you're really good. Thanks. <laughs> I'm impressed. Have you ever had trouble traveling with your instrument? Uh, I, well, luckily I mostly travel with either a soprano sax or a clarinet, which is small <laughs> enough to fit in an overhead compartment. Thank God. Um, but it does stress me out when I have to bring a larger saxophone because it just can't go underneath the plane. I can't check that because it'll get ruined. I've, I've heard horror stories. Same. I had a friend who had just purchased a $10,000 baritone saxophone they forced him to put it underneath the plane and like the top part of his horn was just impaled through the case and he just bought it i'm like i'm never ever 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 oh and the airlines are so callous about it right and it's like some instruments cost more than some people's houses right i mean i had a violinist come in here and it turned out that it was like a stradivarius um And I'm not even going to say how much that's worth because it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. And she just travels with that on her backpack, you know, in her car, you know, whatever. Have you ever worried about like someone breaking into your car? I never leave my instruments in my car ever. Oh, yeah. And I mean, as much of a hassle it is to like bring everything down wherever I'm going, it's not as much of a hassle than like getting my instruments stolen. That's my life. You know, I can't, I can't chance that. So, like, (laughs) as part of your thought process in playing clarinet and soprano sax, hey, this is small and portable. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it it wasn't necessarily, like, on the top of my mind when I picked it, but 
it's definitely a blessing now that I have to travel so much. But man, broken instruments. I feel like that should be like a hashtag and a social movement. <laughs> like, you know, fight the power. The airline right. industries, they don't care. Because they, they don't. They, oh, it's, it's awful. Right. And it's so heartbreaking. Also, there's been stories lately of vans who've had their vans broken into that like all their equipment gets stolen and the community's always kind of rallying around like, hey, help us find out. But I mean, I almost feel like they never do find out who did it, which is awful right mm-hmm. that's terrible yeah that's why i just i'd never leave anything in my car <laughs> today's episode brought to you by clarion music <laughs> instrument insurance <laughs> ensure your valuable instruments because right. music is your life <laughs> there we go all right i gotta get on that and find out if they'll pay me money for that little plug right <laughs> <laughs> you and i had had a conversation a while back about travel And what you shared with me was that you kind of have to dress a certain way to travel. Well, I just noticed that there were times that I dressed in like sweatpants or basketball shorts and in a hoodie or something, maybe not looking my best. And, you know, more often than not, I would get screened for the the random checks. (laughs) Um, So I just decided that I would I would just look nice every time I travel just just for the hassle. Um and that, I mean, that was a little bit concerning. Um, I understand that they're trying to do their job, but it still does make me a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> it would make me super uncomfortable. Like for a while, it was like, oh, it's 2015, 2018, whatever. We're, we're so past that now, but I don't think we are. Yeah, I think there's a lot of differences in maybe gender and race and the only thing that I can do is is do my best to speak out when when those occurrences happen in front of me and to do my best to to be a compassionate person to everybody that I see and and hope that that influences other people to do the same yeah (laughs) i'll ask you something really funny so you see me like every other day (laughs) maybe more than that and you see me in the morning when i'm not awake yet and (laughs) i'm i'm curious and actually maybe this is a dangerous question (laughs) what is steve like (laughs) it depends on the day yes (laughs) um sometimes steve is very much in his head and just needs his coffee and a bagel sandwich. <laughs> and sometimes Steve is very perky and loves having conversation, but you're always very um, eager to listen to the people around you. I noticed that, that, you know, there's specific people that you come and hang out with at the coffee shop that, that you are more than happy to to lend a listening ear and and give as much feedback and help as you can which is something that i think i admire and i think that's that's wonderful and it's it's really great to see well thank you yeah i was actually back at you like one <laughs> of the things that i really admire about you there were a couple of people that were that were there before you started working there who really kind of filled that same role and, um, you know, just listen to people, chat with people. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why people, you know, would go to a coffee shop every day instead of just making their coffee at home is conversation and connection. And um, so, you know, I, and I, I don't know. I, have you ever, have you ever heard the, the term the third place? 
No. So there's this concept about, and I forget who wrote about it, but like, you know, home is where you live and work is where you go. But then what do you, where do you go in between? Mm. And um, where do you, you know, and where do you have community? Where do you have chance encounters? Where do you meet people that you might not otherwise know? Like mm-hmm. I know in our community, there's a lot of truckers right. and it's a really mix of people. It's like suburban and truckers. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so you do, you kind of get the gamut of like, you know, both sides of the politics, both sides of the life spectrum, blue collar, white collar, kind of all mashed together. And it's an interesting blend. Definitely. Yeah. Well, cool. No, I'm glad. I'm glad it's a uh, it's a mostly positive impression. <laughs> I sometimes I'm not at my best, but um, you know, I also know that you would probably never say anything negative about anyone, <laughs> except if it was except if it was to a friend. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> he will not comment on that. <laughs> um. Well, cool. Well, tell me where people can find your quartet online and how they can buy your music find out see your performances so uh my quartet has a website it's www.barcadaquartet.com barcada is spelled b-a-r-k-a-d-a and we usually update our calendar on there and you can also find our cd aventura on there for purchase as well as on itunes it's also on spotify and that was some of the music you heard at the beginning. A phenomenal project. Thank you. Really, really good. I want a copy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then what auditions do you have coming up? Uh, in two weeks, I have an audition for the principal clarinet position of the Charlotte Symphony. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um I'm premiering a new work by a composer in Pennsylvania right after that. So that's going to be a fun adventure. I'll be gone for like a week and have a few performances. And then I'm kind of home for the holidays and then another audition in February for the Kansas City Symphony. Very cool. Well, hopefully we can have you back when you are officially on staff at a symphony. That would be wonderful. I would love to hear the contrast and uh, the other side of that journey. And it's an honor to interview you now while you're still in this place. And I think that's probably one of the most valuable things that I hope to share is people's journey. And something that everybody can relate to is being in the middle of this process where you're not quite where you want to go, but enjoying where you are is so important. And thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris El Chico, we'll see you in the big time. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. If you're just now joining us on our journey, check out our earlier episodes, like episode one, where Adam comes up with our name right on the spot. More interviews with creatives from every art form coming soon. I'm Stephen Levitt, and this is The Language of Creativity. Thanks for joining us. Do what I wanna do with